It's 58 days left to the Formula One season of 2022, and we are bringing you another episode of the Eaton Asphalt Podcast. As always, I'm Marco. I'm Ian. And we are excited to be back, episode, basically episode two of our winter break series. So, uh, you know, a lot, of cha- a lot has changed, or maybe not, in this past week. But, uh, Ian, any, any more excitement towards the F1 season of 2021 that you reflected on? Anything that you're excited for for, for 2022? Yeah, I think the nature of the beast, is, just with F1, is that it's going to be constantly changing in the offseason. So it's not like you're ever going to have, like, a total, like, lapse of anything to talk about with Formula One. So lucky for that. And, yeah, we do have some things that I'm excited to talk talk about in the uh f1 news during break that we will get to um and yeah what about you marco how are you tell me how your tell me how your little ass is doing oh we're just doing peachy yeah like every single i think the most exciting part of this podcast is the very beginning hearing those days trickle down so 58 days you know i just started to break it up into fourths into six where i'm just like okay well we're now a fourth into how many days left. So, yeah, I mean, all all eyes are circled onto that first race day and, you know, everything that's leading up into that. 58 days is not that many days. So, that's, you know, it's exciting. Less than two months. That's how I look at it. Le- smaller numbers. Smaller numbers are good for me. So, two. The number <laughs> two. Less than that. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> Uh, all right, looking more into our short, sweet, fun, cute, I'm not talking about Ian's mother, episode, we're going to talk about F1 news that has happened in the past week, and then we're just going to go straight into, we have a little fun crash gate, a little uh, sector that we have going that Ian's going to talk about, some collusion potentially, I don't know, Ooh. we're going to find out, I know, uh, very exciting that Ian is just going to unequivocally fill us in, fill our little noggins with a bunch of fun, interesting stories. So to start off right away with our F1 news during the break, Ian, let's set it off. Let's do it. So news about sprint races, obviously a massive topic last year. Um, Two of the three sprint races happened to be for the races where Max and Lewis collided and both DNF'd. So a lot of focus around these with the upcoming year coming. Um, but they might get scrapped. So there's a plan right now. There's a couple different drafts. One is um, having six sprint races, so double last year. They were interviewing Zach Brown when this topic came up, and he was like, yeah, there is a team trying, negoci- trying to negotiate like an extra $5 million in payout, and we don't know who that is. So, uh, yeah, you know, we don't know who that is holding an F1 kind of like hostage over budget cap. Um, but in unrelated news, Gunther Steiner is wary of the Formula One sprints making the strong team stronger and could seek potential further action to avoid that. So I don't, don't think those things are related, but, uh, but we will still see. Correlation does not cause, wait, yeah, what is it? Correlation <laughs> I don't, uh, does not cause causation? Oh, we're gonna scrap every single I don't college class that I took, and I was like, "Man, they're really trying to nail this into my brain," and I still don't get it. I, yeah, clearly, I think, do not know the saying. Yeah, <laughs> but we know what we're getting at. Gunther clearly not the guy. Um, did Gunther really, or did they kind of go into why uh, a team like Haas, you know, kind of lower on the ends, would think that sprint races are a no-no, a bad thing for them? Well, again, it's all alleged that it's Gunther. It could really be anybody, any one of the um, of you know of the principals. Uh, no, it's obviously Gunther, and it's just. Be- I think it's just he's just worried about like okay, if we if we crash here, our funds are already kind of dwindling. 
Um, you know, and, and also along with that, like, are these sprint races going to start having e- like, you know, even more points go along to them is obviously just, it was just three points for first two points for second, one point for third last year. But like, if they start to play a little bit bigger of a part, he's like, all right, well, we don't really have any chance of getting on the podium in the sprint race here. So, um, yeah, why, why are we like separating these teams even more when the initiative for next co- for this coming season is to have the, the pack a little closer? I believe yeah, so, that's my so, uh, yeah. That's so my basically, opinion. like uh, a flying lap, um, like potential of doing decent. You have a better shot at that than maybe I don't know eighteen laps of showing that like a, a higher quality team is gonna. You're not gonna pass a higher quality team with the more laps there are. Absolutely, like that's just gotcha. uh, it's a it's a big no no. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, speaking of big no nos, we have a little bit of drama in the contract. Uh, contract slash employment area of F1. Alan Prost had some great battles with Senna back in the late 80s. Took a parting shot at Alpine CEO Lauren Rossi. So he is on his way out, um, but he did before he, you know, I think we talked about several episodes ago, like you always, you should always poop on your boss's desk right before you leave a job. Um, his pooping on the desk was linked to uh, feeling a little bit disrespected because Details of his release were leaked to the press, so I think, I'm trying to read between the lines here, I think it was like um, one of those situations where he kind of found out that he was, like, he was leaving through the press rather than through, uh, like, through Lauren himself, like the Alpine CEO, so, yeah, just another one of these. I think it's uh, it's about time for Alan Prost to, to ride into the sunset, though. We're looking at almost you know forty years since he was you know, since he was on the grid and, and doing stuff. So um, yeah, good good to have him around. But since he's leaving, I think it's about time for him to give up his tiny little slice of the spotlight. Yeah, uh, I, I, there's another saying that I'm gonna butcher, but it was like you either die a hero or live long enough to be a villain. Okay, you know you just don't want Alan Prost to live long enough, whereas like he's kind of looked at as a, a liability than the asset he had been for so long. So you're saying you hope Alan Prost dies? Dies in the Formula One world. Okay, gotcha. Understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we're speaking of executives on F1 teams. Aston Martin, old Lawrence Stroll, old Strolly boy, um, announced the arrival date of Red Bull's Dan Fallows. So Dan Fallows is the Red Bull Aerodynamics chief. Um, it's kind of a big deal, actually, because obviously Red Bull have always like done well as far as aerodynamics are concerned. So <clears throat> if you can't beat the best, you gotta you gotta hire the best and have them work for you. I think is how Lawrence Stroll sees that. Yeah, smart move. I, I mean, yeah, like you said. I, I'm going to try to get as many sayings in this episode as possible. You stole a good okay. one right there. So, yeah, can't beat them, join them. Uh, so, yeah, still start poaching. Yeah, I like that. So I'm going to – I have three more headlines, and I want you to come up with a saying for each of them. Is that fair? Oh, Christ, let's do, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, staying on the topic of executives within Formula One team, Cyril Abitable has been linked to a powertrains role at Red Bull. Um, interesting because obviously there was friction between Red Bull and Renault. Red Bull and Renault have won uh, won all of Red Bull's championships together. Um, so like that was always with a Red Bull engine. But now, I think ever since Christian Horner decided to make the move from Renault to Honda, Cyril, there was like I think the the F1 media more than anybody was trying to really play that up as being like, oh, you know, a partnership is totally broken here. Um, you know, it's it's going to be awkward. They're going to really hate each other, even though they. Didn't really get the chance to race each other too much, even. Um, but yeah, what do you got on here? What's your saying for Cyril Abitable potentially um, coming aboard Red Bull? 
Uh, I'm going to filibuster real quick. Uh, could you talk about, like, what is powertrains? Like, and what is this new role with Red Bull? Like, a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, sure. So, uh, powertrain is essentially, like, everything that makes your car go. Right, so aerodynamics make your car go in a like in a more efficient way. Powertrains is essentially what makes your car go. So it's like everything related to engine, transmission, drive shaft. I see. No, that makes sense, and I think that the F1 media will be trying will be trying to spin their wheels on how to create some more drama with this new partnership. I think so too. It'll be. I mean, it'd be nice to see him, uh, Cyril, back, especially with he since he got his tattoo. It's like you wouldn't get a tattoo unless you're trying to somewhat stay in the news. And if he's, you know, if he has a spot open in Formula One somewhere, you know, especially if it's at Red Bull, just had their first uh, driver championship in let's see, what was that like six years, seven years, eight years, seven years? Um, yeah, it's you know good good to see him back. Good to have him back in the in. He needs he needs more tattoo bets. I think that's just got to be his thing every year. It has some type of tattoo incentive bet. Love that. Like, he bets, he tries to bet Christian, like, hey, if, you know, if, like, we get the car above certain kilometers per hour, like, you have to get uh, a tattoo of my face on your face. Yeah, on my, on your face. Two cereals now. <laughs> Two cereals. Um, next up, we have James Allison, who is a designer engineer for Mercedes, um, facing what is called a dizzying challenge combining F1 with sailing. So... Um, a little bit of background here. He's going to lead the campaign to design like a vessel, a, a ship, a boat capable of win winning the America's Cup. Um, it's a really old competition. I think it's like 150 years old um, sailing. Where I used to live, actually, in Newport, Rhode Island, I saw a couple of America's Cup. These guys are pretty badass that race. Um, and assume, I guess the people who design are not very badass because if you've ever seen James Allison give one of his tech talks, he is a nerd and dork mashed up into one. But good for him for stepping into the sailing world. Your comments. I don't have it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I feel like we really caught some steam with the first three uh, headlines, and then the second, the second three headlines is like, man, we should have uh, should have quit while we we're ahead. But I like yeah, it. Yeah, no, it was like really natural right off the beginning, and then now that I'm thinking <laughs> it, I'm overthinking it, and yeah, uh, I'm I'm sputtering sputtering my way to the finish line here. Yeah, well, let's keep it going. We're almost at the finish line for my news stories here. Um, my new story is Nikita Mazepin says he needs to improve the way he interacts with the wider Haas Formula One team as he bids to make a step forward in 2022. Reading between the lines, this is basically Nikita Mazepin saying that he needs to not be an immature asshole to the rest of his team, even though daddy pays for everybody's salary. Um, I, uh, what, what are you going to do here? Like, a rookie that comes in overly cocky, like overly mean. We heard some engineer, uh, not engineer, but like uh, radio talks, radio communications. They were all pretty vicious seeming for, for a guy who's just a, just a rookie. Um, but begs the question, Marco, who do you think is the driver least liked by their garage uh, other than Mazepin? Because I think it, that's, that's probably uh, you know, an easy number one answer there. Yeah, I feel like it's hard. I feel like some of the better drivers who maybe are assholes, if they're winning and performing well, it's hard to have a problem with it. So I'm going to have to like look at more of the the troubling teams probably that have some animosity if they're playing if they're driving poorly and they're blaming the team, that's where that like uh, fuck this guy kind of thing is. Um, yeah. I would go and guess 
I mean, I can see Fernando snapping pretty well, you know, if he's just ha- not having a bad day. And just we've seen with so many quotes that he's not afraid to speak his mind. So I think if something's pissing him off, I could see him um, giving it to some some individuals in the in the crew in the pit. Yeah, I think that's the right answer. Fernando is a, is a good one just because I feel like if you have success early on, like he won what it was 2005 and six that he won um the the driver's championship so if you like get that level of success i feel like you're kind of uh spoiled by it in in a way or you can be and so when you go back to you know his run with mclaren was really bad um yeah i can see him being a little little sour in the garage let's say yeah no totally agree well that's great i have a couple uh, recent headlines myself uh you were speaking about ashton martin taking Red Bull's Aero Chief, uh, Red Bull doing a little bit of poaching themselves, taking another Mercedes member. Last year, they took Mercedes head of mechanical engineering. Now the teams have agreed to send Ben Hodgenskin. Butcher that over to Red Bull's powertrains. Look at that. See? Bringing in powertrains again. Hodgkinson. I hope they say that on like the broadcast. They're like, and yeah. Red Bull Powertrains manager, Ben Hodgkinson. Ben Hodgkinson. Over to Powertrains, <laughs> yep, to be their new technical director. So similar to that same phrase, if you can't beat them, join them. Or if you can't beat them, poach them. So, uh, yeah, Red Bull is just, they did mass improvements on, I mean, they, they got a driver's championship out of it. So they're like, hey, if it worked for us last year, let's close that gap even more. Let's try to take that drive, that construct. That constructors championship as well. Let's take another guy. So good for them. You know what they say. You know what they say. Uh, if it's not fixed, shit. <laughs> you know what they say. If it's not broken, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I love try. it. Love I'm it. gonna try what you do. Let's All right, no, 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 yeah. See what we can do. Make some magic here. Uh, moving right along, we have our Grand Prix chief for Australia. So for the Australian Grand Prix, said that uh, there will be no Djokovic drama, similar to what we've been seeing in the Australian Open for tennis uh, these past couple weeks. Uh, obviously, if you do not know, Djokovic has, uh, is an, an anti-vaxxer. He uh, refuses to get it. Australia is super, super strict on this stuff. Try to uh, kind of fix the system, get a medical exemption. Uh, the country, the entire country of Australia, did not like that at all, caused a bunch of ruckus, and then um, they ended up saying, nope, sorry, we made a mistake, you can no longer do this. So uh, Formula One's kind of trying to take a, a step in the right direction, saying, hey, uh, yeah, this is not going to happen. If you're not vaxxed, these are our rules. If you're not vaxxed, you're not in. Uh, this leads to my question. Do you think what drivers, if you had to guess, are not vaxxed, uh, and are they willing to just give up a race to give up a race weekend uh, to remain anti-vax? Oh, like, yeah, like die on the hill. That's a good question. Man, if it were last year, I would have said probably Kimmy. He's just like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to do anything that you want me to do type deal. So it's good that they mm-hmm. didn't race in Australia last year. But let's see, anti-vaxxers on the grid? Dude, I, I might go back to Fernando again. We've been ripping on Fernando. But, feel like, but, uh, but yeah, Fernando just being like, no, actually my... Uh, my body can um, can get rid of any virus, actually. Just yeah, no, command. I, I think for sure top of my list is Mazepin. I just feel like he's like, look, oh, good. no. Yeah, I, I think that's for sure for me. I think I was kind of kind of considering Lewis just because, like, he's, you know, very holistic. He doesn't like putting bad things in his body, don't know the data behind vaccines. 
I don't know. And I think he did have a post, remember, that he took it down about, like, kind of anti-vax language and then Ooh. caused a whole ruckus and he, he deleted it. So I could see Lewis uh, potentially doing that, but uh, just nice guy Lewis maybe being like, hey, you know what? I don't want to make people very upset. I'm going to get the vax. So uh, I think those would have been my top two on totally different spectrums of why they're not getting the vax. Yeah, Lewis is a wild card because I could see him, like you said, like the holistic approach or um, him having just given his income level and the disparity of that with the other drivers, some kind of like, you know, mega booster where he's not going to have to get the future boosters that come in like that, like designer, designer vaccines, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I could see that for sure as well. Moving right along, we have, uh, I feel like this is just, we've talked about this, Formula One writers uh, just really stretching uh, for things to talk about. There was an article saying that Kimmy's happy to be out of all the F1 bullshit. I mean, I think that's as obvious as an article as you could. Like, you read the headlines and you're like, all right, move on, I, which I did because we get it. Yeah. Has there any? Has there been anything that he has said or done in the past year, maybe even a couple of years, that shown that he was not ready to leave all this behind as soon as possible? Like, it seemed like he was counting down the seconds when he could finally officially retire. Oh, yeah. His last media obligation... You know, leaving the room, probably both middle fingers up, saying, like, I will see all of you people never again in my life. Yeah, CNL. That's a saying. All right, you missed it. Missed it. Moving right along, Esteban Ocon. I mean, this one is maybe my favorite. Says that F1 teams, like, with the, all the excitement that we saw last year, the huge jump in uh, viewership, that uh, as these teams get closer in performance, hopefully, with, uh, you know, in 2022 with the new car and everything, that it will pass soccer or football, as the people out east over the pond call it. Uh, Esteban, let, let's simmer down a, a tad, I would say, just calling out the most popular sport in the entire world, saying, hey, you know, you better, you better check your backs because we're coming for you. I mean, I think that's a little ambitious, especially, you know, someone that's kind of middle of the pack of Formula One. Yeah, definitely. Like, you, you know, you don't want to get too big for your britches, you know. You don't want to be like all broth and no beans. Like let's let's keep let's hold on to the arrogance there. Um, just feel like sometimes nice, nice. like seeing that you're gonna saying that you're gonna pass soccer like on a world scale can be kind of like all hat and no cattle. But yeah, as much as it sounds like um, you know he's he's getting above his raisin and he's too highfalutin, acting all high and mighty on his high horse. Uh, <laughs> just fucking hey, brother, who's bad boy? <laughs> just really beating it. In. <laughs> Beating a dead horse. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, but right. no chance. We're not. We're not going to pass. Uh, we're not going to pass football, buddy. I mean, not, we, not I mean, like not in the next. I don't know. Fifteen years, I would say. Uh, yeah, like let's. Yeah, let's get baby steps. Let's pass some other sports before we're not. F one's not number two. So until you get yeah. you know in the top, if until you're a podium sport where you're the top three in the world, let's. Uh, yeah, let's work your way up here. It's a good idea. My last recent headlines for the past week, uh, similar uh, to what we said about golf, you know, they're following the top 10 players in the world, similar to the Drive to Survive, which I think will be very cool as a golf fan. Uh, the producers of Drive to Survive are actually doing a tennis docuseries as well. So it seems like, you know, if there is a popularity with one sport, uh, they're just going to hone in and pound it into these other sports that might not be as popular as as some of the major sports that we have uh, come to know and love. 
my opinion, this will be very boring. Uh, I don't see yeah. a huge yeah, drive to watch this, but I probably would have said that about Formula One a couple of years ago as well. So, I mean, I will wait till other people watch it before I watch it to hear what they have to say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I have low expectations for this. I think the difference between Drive to Survive, like the Formula One uh, version of this versus the tennis one, is that you can probably go into Drive to Survive not being an F1 fan and really enjoy that. I feel like with the tennis one, you're going to have to know background because, like, the actual, like, live sport of F1, like, it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome just in terms of, like, how fast these cars are going. Obviously, you have, like, the crashes, like, the overtakes. But I can't see, like, that same level of production going toward, like, a really cool serve, you know? Like, I, I just don't think that that really smacks the same way in terms of, like, a viewer experience. But, yeah, I'm excited to see what people have to say about it. And if it's, if, you know, if it's, <laughs> like, if I'm in that demographic of people who they're targeting, uh, which I hope is not just hardcore tennis fans. Yeah, no, we'll see. I mean, obviously, if it works out, you know, more power to them. Uh, I, I'm curious what, like, they would have to be, after the success they've had, just have a, a whiteboard of sports that they're attacking now. Uh, now we have golf, like we said, now we have tennis. I'm curious what the, like, the next four that they have circled off on, on attacking. Swimming? Like, the, it's definitely, we're seeing some drop off a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, I would love a darts documentary, dude. Get me in with that. Oh, actually, I'm so yeah, sold. Yeah, absolutely. Those those matches are riveting. Well, that does it with uh, our news in the past week. So uh, that's been very intriguing. We had a lot in in the past week that we've picked up on. So hopefully, we're not skimming at the bottom of the barrel these next couple of weeks. Fingers crossed. That is similar to what we just had. Moving right along, though, we have our Crashgate story from Ian, but. Before we get there, we do have an ad. This part of the podcast is brought to you by Sandals Jamaica. This five-star luxurious adults-only resort is the perfect place to get away. We have people come here to celebrate for so many different things, whether it be a honeymoon, I don't know, maybe a divorce, a work promotion, or even a retirement. Our property allows you to celebrate anything in every way possible. Even if you need to clear your head in order to make a major life decision, we have you covered. When Tom Brady was deciding on retiring, staying with the Patriots, moving teams, him and Giselle sat their sexy asses down on our beaches. We even let him make out with his son. We aren't necessarily proud of this next one, but when O.J. Simpson was deciding whether to plead guilty or fight his case, he was slugging down tequila doing some salsa on our dance floor. And look at him now, celebrating his freedom, whether it's justified or not. That is not our decision. And you know who didn't go to a Sandals resort? That foolish, foolish man, Jim Irsay, went to a Royal Caribbean cruise and got seasick. The next thing you know, he's trading a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, and look what happened there. Now, this is a specific call to Sir Lewis Hamilton. We know that there's a lot about your upcoming season. Please, for everyone who cares about F1 and racing, come to Sandals. Think it through. Make the right decision. This sport is not the same without you, and you will realize that with a week here. Hell, we'll even make hundreds, thousands, if you want, of Max, Christian, and Mossy Pinatas for you to destroy with our complimentary flamethrower and ninja stars. Uh, you could rent out the whole place. Uh, that would hardly probably affect your bank account. So do the right thing, Lewis. Don't pull a Jim Say, Come to Sandals. Okay, sounds good. 
Thanks. Why are you so mean to me, I guess, is a question I have. It's, it's our sponsors. Nothing I can do. My hands are tied. <laughs> All right. We're going to forget that and move on to uh, Crashgate, the crash controversy, the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix, the Renault mix-up. Crashgate. I don't have it. I ran out of names. Um, okay, so this takes place, uh, just a quick story, a little story time corner. This takes place in uh, 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. So let's go back to 2008, put ourselves in uh, in that kind of, you know, that realm. At this point uh, on Renault, the two drivers for Renault are Fernando Alonso and Nelson Piquet Jr. Uh, Piquet Jr. is this rookie and son of three-time world champion Nelson Piquet. 2005 and 2006, so like three and two years before this, uh, Fernando Alonso had won a championship with Renault. 2007, he moves over to McLaren, partners up with Lewis Hamilton, a new rookie coming up um, who's really showing some promise. Uh, And then in that season before that, he actually lost to Kimi Raikkonen by one point, Um, but so did Lewis Hamilton, lost by one point to Kimi Raikkonen. And Fernando had fewer wins than Lewis, so he actually got third place in the Drivers' Championship rather than second. Um, and so it was kind of like, you know, Lewis Hamilton, who is this rookie coming up, uh, you know, beating Fernando Alonso, a two-time champion, in his first year as a rookie. Um, so let's, let's like kind of set that foundation. Um, the reason that I bring that up is because this story has to do with Nelson Piquet Jr. He's a rookie as well, just like Lewis was the year before. Um, but the reason that he went back to Renault from McLaren was he was like, okay, look, I can't be dealing with a really, you know, essentially like generational talent of a rookie. So I'm going to instead drive with this guy who's essentially only in Formula One because of his dad's last, because of his last name and because of his dad. Um, and so, you know, they're both at Renault. Get off to a really slow start. Keep in mind, Fernando's used to winning championships with Renault when he was there for the the two years you know before he left to go to McLaren. Uh, but the very slow start looks like you know five times finishing in the first you know five races where they score points in the first ten races. Um, you know, seemed kind of just like a bleak, no real standout performance from either driver on Renault up until we get to Singapore. Um, Singapore, something changes with the setup of the car where Fernando finishes two practice sessions in P2. Looking like he could probably make some noise, uh, you know, maybe even hop onto the third row uh, of qualifying, which was that like kind of what their ceiling was at Renault. Um, but qualifying comes around and he's super disappointed because he goes out in Q2 because of a mechanical failure. So he's starting P15 instead of like a potential, I don't know, P, you know, P6, P7. Um, Team's kind of pissed off at themselves, feel bad for Fernando, and allegedly uh, do something in terms of strategy that has been hailed as something, in quotes, uh, that was at best unconventional and at worst suspicious. So here's what they did. Um, you know, Normally, Singapore would be like a one-stop race, but they decided to make Fernando go on to a very aggressive uh, two-strop strategy. They filled up, this was back, this was the last year that you could fill up a car with gas um, in the pit stop because actually during this race was when uh, Ferrari driver Felipe Massa drove off with the gas, like gas filler, what do you call that thing, gas hose in his car, uh, which could have been a massive disaster had anything like flammable happened. But anyway, at this point, 2008, they're still refilling gas during pit stops, and so instead of like sending out Fernando with, you know, a, a good amount of gas. They sent him out for about maximum of 14 laps. Um, 
soft tires, super, super aggressive strategy. Um, and, you know, 12 laps in, he comes in for a pit stop. Somewhat suspiciously, right after Alonso comes in for his pit stop, he has fresh fuel, fresh tire, or full fuel, fresh tires. Um, Nelson PK Jr., his teammate, crashes at turn 18, uh, which is a notoriously hard spot to get a car off the track. So they're going to have to safety car it. Um, since Alonso has those new tires, he has you know full fuel. He kind of got like a little bit of a of a huge, a little bit of a head start really. Um, and goes into P three, but because of the safety car rules back then, P one and P two had to end up like pitting as well for like a, a ten second penalty. Um, and so basically, what this move does is put him into P one. Uh, he stays and maintains P one just because of how nice of a head start that he got, and so. Uh, he actually finishes this race P1, which was way higher than expectations for you know any Renault team to have, or for any Renault driver to have rather um, on that team. So this happens. There's a little bit of a red flag shown by some people, but it's like okay, let's you know we we have another race to get to, so let's move on. It's not until 2009, the year uh, year after this, where the issue kind of gets brought up again. Um, what what caused it was. Nelson Piquet Jr. getting dropped by Renault after not scoring a point in 10 races in 2009. Um, so out goes Piquet, in comes a young Roman Grosjean. But uh, a week after he's fired from Renault, he actually goes to the FIA to report that he was uh, told by Pat Simmons and Flavio Briatore, who were the race engineer and the team principal at the time, um, they told him to crash on the 14th lap, you know, at turn 18. So he was essentially accusing them of fixing the race, like very much engineering the race result, um, you know, giving maximum time for Alonso to make the most out of the, you know, very recent pit stop, not under a safety car. Um, and so just giving like a, a massive, a massive advantage. Um, Brazilian, Brazilian TV was the one that came out with the story, uh, in August of 2009, the PK was pressured from the higher ups on his team. He was like, Hey, we need you to crash during this lap at this corner. Um, FIA investigates it during this time where the investigation's going on, which only lasted about six days. Renault comes on and says like, Hey, we might push criminal charges against Nelson PK Jr. for slandering us this much. Like, they're, I don't know what court, I don't know what actual charges, um, but they're, they're like, threatening. It's kind of like this he said, she said, back and forth bitching between Renault, PK, uh, with the FIA kind of getting involved as well. Let's see, <laughs> what should I say? The, the straw that broke the camel's back, getting back to sayings, baby. Yes, the straw that broke the camel's back uh, was... The New York Times released a transcript of the radio back and forth between Renault, like Renault Garage and Nelson Piquet Jr. Um, I haven't heard the Renault, like the, the tapes, but apparently it was damning enough where they were like, hey, just so I let you know, it's lap 14 and uh, there might be some slipperiness at turn 17 in case you crash at turn 18. Um, so... You know, this like bunch of drama gets kicked up. Renault's essentially caught red-handed. And the next day after the New York Times released that article, the, they fire the managing director, Flavio Briatore, which is a brilliant F1 name, and executive director of engineering, Pat Simmons, which is a much less brilliant F1 name. Um, and the, I think the, the last act of this is 
um, the court stuff going back and forth. So Reno, basically, because they get caught red-handed, are put on a probation for two years, getting told they're just walking on very thin ice. You know, any suggestion, they're not going to be given the benefit of the doubt, like any potential thing that could be construed as you know, against the rules, any kind of race engineering, race fixing, um, then they would be kicked out of Formula One. Pat Simmons is banned for five years. Um, it's assumed, which it, Pat Simmons was the director of engineering. Um, it's assumed that he got a lighter sentence just because of his cooperation with the FIA. Flavio Briatore, on the other hand, though, uh, maintains his innocence through this whole thing. So he got an indefinite race ban for not kind of coming clean about it. So they ban him. He appeals the ban. The court ruled in favor of the appeal. Then the FIA appeals the ruling of the appeal. Uh, and this legal battle is just like coming to a crescendo where it's like we can't like they had other controversies that we'll get to uh, in later episodes that were going on during this 2008 season. But um, they were essentially came came to him and were like, look, this is just going to cost a lot of money with lawyers. This is going to cost a lot of energy that we don't have. So instead, we're just going to give you like a, 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 essentially like a high a forced hiatus until 2013. Briatore jumps at that opportunity because obviously he's guilty and like the you know the radio shows that he's just trying to like go down with the ship um and speaking speaking of Riatore, i was doing a little bit of research on him uh doesn't take long to see that he was convicted in italy on several fraud charges in the 1980s uh got two prison sentences um, but the convictions were later extinguished by amnesty so the, the way that i like see this guy is just essentially like a, a guy who's too rich to get in trouble um, and I think that's like the overall opinion that he had. But, you know, he couldn't come back until 2013 along with Pat Simmons. But, you know, so they served their fine. Um, and, and that was kind of it. So the, the big kind of takeaway was that Fernando Alonso did get to keep his points and keep the win for that season. It wasn't super important. Like Renault weren't fighting for a podium spot, really. They were pretty far back. Uh, but it's just kind of like the stain that I think Fernando will never completely get rid of. Um, because it's like, look, he's a two-time world champion. He, he either was told something and just never really got caught with it, or he could probably figure out what was going on, um, you know, during team meetings and stuff. So, you know, storied career from Fernando Alonso for sure, but it's worth noting that at some point it was, you know, he was caught and being a little naughty with Renault, a little Renaughty. Uh, and yeah, that's it. So, Man, we've had a Fernando Alonso-centered podcast episode today, you know, with all the stuff that we were talking about with the hypotheticals and with the crash controversy. But, uh, but yeah, a little bit of a, of a nice time capsule throwback to the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. Yeah, I wonder if something like that, how much it changes if Renault did, I don't know, uh, like if he won a driver's championship, if they won a constructor's championship, something massive that or even a trickle-down effect. If they didn't give him the win, this helps Ferrari, and Ferrari would have ended up winning if those additional points. Like, something that was quantifiable in, like, how this affected them, if that would have changed anything at all either. Yeah, I I know, I mean, there was drama with, obviously, Felipe Massa uh, at at Ferrari at the time. He was the one that had the gas hose still stuck in his car when he drove off. Engineers had to go, like, run down the track and push him backward. Um, just, just to get that off. So that was a big deal. And then, uh, like Felipe Massa that year, like that specific race didn't affect his outcome, but, um, he lost the championship by a point also. So, um, it was like, you know, 2007, 2008 rather, sorry, 
So 2007, you know, was won by just one point between Kimmy and Lewis and Fernando, tied for, you know, a point behind Kimmy. And then the year after, um, you know, Felipe was, was essentially, he had it, but he lost out to Lewis Hamilton. It was interesting. Um, obviously, it didn't have, like, a huge impact. But, yeah, like, if, you know, if, like, somebody who was P2 could have gotten those P1 points, like, that would have been, you know, would have been kind of annoying. Yeah, definitely a big, much bigger tinfoil hat that goes on if, if that's something like that happens. <laughs> Um, all right, and with that, I think that's everything we wanted to cover on this episode of, of the podcast. Um, we will c- continue to do this, like uh, like Marco said. We got fifty eight days left until the start of the Formula One season of twenty twenty two. But uh, but yeah, up to this point, appreciate everybody for listening. Any last thoughts? Any closing thoughts, Marco? No. See you guys. Hopefully, you know, around fifty days. Fifty days left. We're getting down to the forty. So uh, yeah, until then. See you, assholes. See you, assholes.